In today's episode of Moments That Matter, we hear from a panel of educators who are on the front lines creatively training their students during these strange days. I think you'll agree that those leading our schools are true blessings and not appreciated nearly enough. Be encouraged as you hear our nation's educators speak of their commitment and care for their students in the face of these challenging educational dynamics. Welcome back to Moments That Matter. Of the many questions we have in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic, one of the most commonly asked questions has to do with students starting school in the fall. Should it be in person exclusively? Should it be online exclusively? Should it be some kind of hybrid model combining virtual and in-person? Each week we read about schools and universities where there have been outbreaks and students are forced to isolate or quarantine and also teachers and staff. In some cases, uh, forcing the school to suddenly switch from in-person to virtual instruction, much like what happened in the spring. We thought it would be important to talk to educators on the ground facing these and many other questions to get their perspective and come to some kind of understanding about the educational environment our children are in right now. So we've gathered an esteemed group of educators representing K-12 schools and districts, primarily in South Carolina, but also Hawaii, uh, some of whom are teachers, some administrators. Uh, how about we begin with each of you introducing yourself just very briefly, tell us where you teach, and if you want to leave out uh, name of your school or district or anything like that, you can feel free. Uh, you can just tell us the state that you're working in. I am Rachel Gregory, and I am a former math teacher uh, turned instructional coach um, at a middle school in upstate South Carolina um, in the school district of Pickens County, and this is my 13th year in education. My name is Kelly Pugh. I also am in upstate South Carolina. I currently serve as assistant superintendent of administration in Anderson School District 1. Prior to that, I, I was a superintendent in two school districts in South Carolina for six years. I also am an instructor at Southern Wesleyan University. I am Jeffrey Gaines. I am in the PD area of South Carolina in Florence, where I serve as the proud principal of Southside Middle School. Prior to that, I was a band director choral educator and general music teacher, K-12, one band man, in three school districts in South Carolina, ranging from the low country and up to the PD. I'm Tiffany Arnold. I teach at R.C. Edwards Middle School in the upstate of South Carolina. This is my 19th year teaching math. I taught I've taught in Charlotte, North Carolina, inner city Charlotte, North Carolina. I've taught in the low state of South Carolina. I've taught in the countries of South Carolina, <laughs> the back country. And um, now I'm in the Clemson area of South Carolina teaching middle school math. Hi, everyone. I'm Danielle Bryant. I'm working in Hawaii right now. This is my 17th year in education. I've worked as lower elementary. I've worked as a vice principal. I've been in higher education. So I've been kind of all over, but I'm back in the classroom in lower elementary here as a second grade teacher. So it's good to be on with all of you. Danielle just got her doctorate a year ago. Uh, I mentioned that because we have some doctoral students with us. So first, let's start with this uh, past spring. Um, that was a fairly traumatic time. 
for almost everyone because of the pivot that was required once everything was shut down, including schools. Uh, and we now have the advantage of some perspective on the spring. Uh, so I'm wondering how overall you felt like the school year ended last year. As a district administrator, I'll say that uh, we were a school district that um, had been granted the opportunity for e-learning, which allowed for us to um, use e-learning for three days so that if we had inclement weather, um, our students could continue learning at home and we would not have to make up those, those um, snow days because our teachers were able to continue instructing. And we felt very good about that as a district. Um, unfortunately, we, we were not prepared in Anderson School District 1 um, for that to become a, a, a 10, 11, 12-week um, situation, and that, that's where we ended. Um, and so as a district, we weren't prepared for that. Our parents were not prepared for that. We had students that did not have access to Internet um, technology, and as a district, we tried our very best to support those families um, but but it was an unexpected situation. Our teachers um, in Anderson one, like I know all teachers um, across the country did, um, the very, very best um, that we could do. And I think there's a, a true testimony to how um, folks feel about their teachers now, um, the love that our, our teachers have for their students and our students for their teachers from that. So we worked really hard to make sure we can meet the needs of children, but but most districts were not prepared for that amount of time um, outside of our face-to-face -face instruction. I'll piggyback on Dr. Pugh. In Florence One, we were also fortunate to be an e-learning district. We had piloted an e-learning mock day in the fall, and it was successful, and we kind of ran some connectivity issues. The same issue with Anderson School District One, we had planned for three days not to the extent of the end of the year. So our major hurdle was ensuring that our students were engaged. And even though we were successful in getting some MIFIs in and some internet ports, we still struggled with ensuring our families were connected. So fast forwarding as we prepare, that's one of our major goals to ensure that we're continuing to engage our families and keep our students connected moving forward. Um, the parents and, and teachers just really dug in, and we've kind of emerged with the theme this year, emerging stronger together, realizing that it does take everybody. It's not, it used to be, well, they'll fix it at the school. Now it truly is from home to the bus to the school, cafeteria, and back. So um, things, are, things are coming together outside of the pandemic as we continue to go through it in a stronger uh, sense together within our district. In my classroom, we had had a big flu, like right before. Um, so in January, I teach Algebra One Honors to eighth graders. And um, so we had, the flu just kind of went through the whole class. And so at that point, I made a decision to flip my classroom. And so we had started that, and oh, they were complaining um, a lot. And we had just started implementing that. We had done that, well, since January for two months, I guess. And as soon as um, we switched over 
to um, e-learning, it was it was kind of seamless for us. Like we were just really lucky and blessed that that we had been in the right place at the right time. Um, and so they did. They came back at the end of the year and were like, "Thank you, <laughs> thank you for making us do that and for pushing us." Um, but that I don't think everybody was that fortunate. Um, I know with my own personal children, it was a struggle um, to, especially with younger ones. And having to work all morning, so I was meeting my middle school students all morning and then having to homeschool my own children in the afternoon who didn't have access to technology from the school. Uh, so it was, it was definitely, I think, just like everybody else, it was, it was tough. And, and so you heard the whole comments of, we are sitting at home doing nothing. And I was like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're still working <laughs> for sure. So one thing I, I do think um, as a positive, though, in this, so Tiffany and I are in the same school district and school, um, but one thing that I think that Pickens County um, has been working towards and has kind of gotten, I think, a, a leg up is that um, the technology capability and Internet access is available. Um, so we have for all students, I believe, now everyone has it, but last year, um, pre-COVID, uh, third grade and up had access to Chromebooks, um, and those that didn't have internet access had hotspots that they could request and have sent home um, just based on some different factors there, so that is something that I was extremely fortunate um, that we had, and we had that capability, and I, I think that that was one thing that um, that a lot of people appreciated. That being said, with everybody in the United States on the internet, you know, just one right after the other, um, you know, we definitely ran into some challenges too, which I think was probably just as anyone else um, as well. And so I think the biggest challenge moving forward for us though, um, I think Jeffrey kind of said this, is the engagement. How do we make sure that the kids um, are engaged? What are we doing so that they actually want to come back um, and see the teacher and see their classmates? What What's getting them back every day? For my state, it was a little different. It was basically like we were thrown in the deep end and, um, and everyone basically was drowning. Um, it was a very, um, very horrible time last quarter. Um, the state was very dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Um, the teachers felt very unsupported. Um, they did not feel like there was any management or any structure coming down. There was not clear direction um, at times of what we should be doing um, coming from the top down. And so there was a lot of miscommunication about expectations. At one point, they just basically told kids, fourth quarter doesn't count your grades. There's no grades at all. Um, so don't even worry. And so we just, it was really hard because teachers were still wanting to engage students um, during fourth quarter, and then kids were like, what's the point? Um, and we did have teachers who were not um, engaging. They weren't getting on. They weren't getting on the Zooms. They weren't um, reaching out. And we were hearing those stories, and you had other teachers who were, you know, creating lessons. They were getting on. They were doing 
active things with their students. And so you had this real disparity between what was happening between one class and this class within even schools. Um, and you would end up with students in one class trying to then get into another class just so that they could be getting some kind of experience. Um, and so that was really kind of a heartbreaking situation fourth quarter. And so going this summer, um, I know our school level, that was a conversation where we're having is we want to make sure that we're having that um, equity, that everybody is making sure they're getting a good foundational experience, that everybody's getting something. And so a lot of questions and conversations have been about what are you doing and not just in a way of getting brainstorming, but just to make sure that people are understanding you need to be doing something, um, kind of almost holding that standard for each other to say, you can't just be calling it in like you did fourth quarter, because a lot of people were like, I'm just going to kind of do my, you know, I'm going to watch Joe King and figure out, you know, did Carol King kill her husband or not? Um, this isn't what that was about. And unfortunately, that did happen. Those horror stories where people were saying teachers are just sitting at home doing nothing. That really was happening. We saw that happening here. Um, and then you had other people who really were just pouring out their time. They're creating information. They are spending all these hours to create nothing, something out of nothing. And so it was really quite across the board of differences um, here. We eventually came up with something at our own school where our principal um, actually came and asked our grade levels to create packets. Um, because we are a Title I school, so many of our families did not have internet. They did not have access. We could not get them hotspots. We could not get them Chromebooks. We ordered Chromebooks right away. They were not going to be available. Um, he asked, can you create some kind of packet? And he came down with our VPs, and they printed out packets, and they stood every Monday, and they did a drive-through, and people could pick up a packet. Um, we did free lunches, meals, but it took weeks. That It was not right away. It took a good three to four weeks for people to kind of get that organized. So there was that kind of lag where people felt like they were kind of just like, what's happening? Nothing's happening. And then finally, we kind of got into that routine. And then finally, families finally felt like, okay, we've got something now. So I feel like coming into this fall, we felt a little bit more like we were on rock, not on sand. Yeah, and certainly we've experienced some of those disparities in, in South Carolina. Um, you know, I was speaking to a teacher who happens to be one of our doctoral students, and she she says, well, we're not one-to-one, -one. and so, you know, all we're doing is sending home worksheets, and the students send them back, and, you know, that, that was their spring. Um, but uh, I appreciate you making that transition for me, Danielle. Thank you. Because um, my next question was, uh, once you worked to the summer, then how did that, uh, experience in the spring inform your preparations for the fall? From a district um, perspective, I can tell you that, um, you know, there's some things in your career that, that you'll like never forget. Um, and, and for us and Anderson one, and probably for most districts in the state, our superintendent called us um, to the office on a Sunday and we worked all day long. 
um, you know, hearing the governor and knowing that, um, that we were closing schools. And in our district, our children had gone home on a Friday. Our teachers had a work day on Monday. Um, and so um, we tried to think through what we were going to do. I mean, we didn't even have time to really plan. Um, our, our kids never went back to the building really. They never went back inside the building. We did do some opportunities for kids to come and pick up their bags and their belongings. Um, but it, essentially, in, in an afternoon on a Sunday, um, district administration was meeting to, to really think through how we were going to help our teachers. And on that Monday, they came in for the last time to, to, to figure out what they needed out of their classrooms, um, to, to be able to do what we were going to do from home. Um, and once we, we kind of um, got through that, that last nine weeks um, of, of trying to make sure that we um, provided some instruction for our kids um, and, and we helped them close out that school year, the rest of the summer was how do we go back in the fall? And, and everybody wanted to go back in the fall, but, but how do we do that? And in my district, we, there's four of us that we've been in a room together since March um, because we all need to be together because that communication piece is so important, um, you know, from feeding kids to transporting kids to do they wear masks, do they not wear masks, do we have dividers, how do we disinfect. Um, and all along the way this summer, as, as we learned more about the virus and we received additional information and guidance from CDC and DHEC, we would be going down a path and then all of a sudden we'd have to make a sharp left because we learned something else about the virus and we had to change the way in which um, our, our plans were going to go. We tried to be very transparent with our parents and with our teachers. We tried really hard um, over the summer to get feedback. We had task force um, that our superintendent created, um, and each of his district-level administrators were in charge of a task force that had many different stakeholders, including parents, and we, we had many, many, many calls to try to bring back recommendations, um, and so, you know, and, and then the beginning of the school year, you know, you're, you're kind of developing a plan, developing a plan, and then all of a sudden, we're now in implementation of the plan. Um, and so, you know, my, my work, I think most people's work has changed. What I used to do in my job, I don't even, I, sometimes I don't even remember what that was because it seems like that for so long, it has been about helping with the health and safety of our, our children and our, um, our faculty and staff. Well, now that we're back in, in school, it's managing those cases because no matter how well prepared you are, um, we have COVID um, students, we have employees who test positive for COVID, and then we are contact tracing um, and, and sending folks home and doing a quarantine. Um, so I think for most of us, our, our jobs have, have changed. And at the district level, now what we're trying to do is make sure our teachers have the resources they need and that our children have the resources that they need so that they can carry on with instruction and not be worried about some of the things that we're dealing with behind the scenes. So um, in my classroom, I definitely came out of that knowing that I needed to implement a plan in my classroom that I could do live or virtual because that was the biggest thing all summer. It's like we had no idea and it kept going up and down, up and down. Do we go back face-to-face? -face? Do we go back virtual? Do we go back face-to-face? -face? Wh which one are we doing? Part, this part, that part. So I just knew 
that I had to have a plan that would work either way. And so I got with my, my other math team, and we just decided that um, virtually, of course, we are not allowed to be together in the same room because if one of us goes down, the other one has to take over. Um, and that's what we decided. It was like, okay, we're going, we don't normally teach exactly the same things and stay on pace exactly the same, but this year we have to do that. And so she created 60 videos of coursework over the summer, and I created 60 videos, and we are implementing those videos together, and we're working through this together, and we've just got each other's back. Um, no knowing that that's, we needed to start something that we knew we could use for the whole school year no matter what. Um, and our district, we our plan is to go back for two weeks face-to-face. -face. So we're in our second week right now, and then we have two weeks off, uh, virtual, not off, but off from school. So we go two weeks virtual. Now, the, there's a county next to us that just went straight back face-to-face, -face, and I've talked to lots of teachers in that county that, because I used to work in that county, um, and they're not even really preparing their students for the possibility or almost probability that there's going to be virtual at some point. So I love the fact that our district thought enough ahead to say, okay, we're going to do two weeks face-to-face, -face, two weeks virtual, then we come back two weeks face-to-face -face and we re regroup and we come up with the new six-week plan. Um, and that forced us as teachers to prepare our students to learn virtually. That was the biggest problem I feel like in our classrooms in the spring is that our students do not know how to learn without us in front of them. Um, and that was just so difficult to come to grips with. And so I feel like it kind of forced us to make sure that our students understood that this is what happens in virtual and this is what happens in our classroom. And they really are almost the same. Um, and I'm really proud of our district for coming up with that, that plan. And that brings up an interesting point, Tiffany, um, and I'd love to hear from each one uh, what your school or district, what, their, what the model is for starting this school year. So Tiffany says two weeks on and then, then two weeks online. Um, so what are, what are you others doing? So ours, and I'm in the same district as Tiffany, ours is basically a six-week model. Um, at the end uh, or the beginning of the fifth week, um, the district will release the new plan for the following six weeks. Um, so the one thing that I really appreciate, though, about our model that we have, it's called a hybrid model, um, is that feedback was heavily sought from employees, from parents, from the community, um, and it was basically just put out, everything was very clearly laid out um, of the options, and everybody was given a choice, um, because I think it's one of those things, I mean, heaven for, we, can't, we can't please everybody for something like this, but we want to try as best as we can to meet the needs of everybody, because some people, you know, have health concerns and want to stay home, and some people um, have no child care and need to send their their um, kids to school, and so I do appreciate the way that they have our district has reached out um, to do that. So ours is in a six-week block: two weeks on, two weeks virtual, two weeks on, and then we'll see where that goes. In Anderson, one um, we we did we um, got lots of feedback from our families as well, 
Um, our goal really is to get our children back face-to-face for a lot of reasons. We believe the best instruction for our children occurs when they're in the classroom in front of their teacher, but we wanted to do that in the safest way possible. Um, and so we began the school year on a staggered schedule for elementary. We brought back two grades at a time so that we could teach them um, the protocols that we had in place um, as it relates to we take everyone's temperature, our children have to wear a mask, we have desk dividers um, in the classroom, and so our elementary children can remove their mask when they get into the classroom. Um, so the first week of school, um, for three days, we were on a staggered. Um, on Friday, we brought all of our elementary children back together. It went extremely, extremely well. And our plan moving forward is that our elementary children will attend every single day, unless there's something that happens um, within our community that, that does not allow us to do that. We have to go back virtual. At our middle and high school level, um, we did a, um, we, we have a hybrid schedule. Um, we gave to our parents um, for the entire year what a hybrid could look like if in an emergency we needed to go to that, that model. Um, and what we chose to do is um, our students did um, four, days, four days at school and four days off on an AB model. Um, we have a health and safety task force that we meet with um, every other week. We have an epidemiologist. Uh, we have hospital uh, represent, representatives. We have um, DHEC. Um, and then we have Anderson um, Emergency Management. And we talk with them uh, about what does it look like, not in Anderson County, because we're only rep- we only have Anderson 1. Um, that task force met, and, and we believed that uh, we were supposed to go back to school with everybody on Friday. Um, and based on the information and the fact that we know that when there are holidays like July 4th, um, we have Labor Day coming up, that there's, a, there's an increase in COVID cases. We decided to stay on a um, staggered schedule through September the 17th. Um, but following that, our intention is to bring all of our children back face-to-face. Um, and in the event that we need to do something different, we give our parents five days notice that we would need to go to a hybrid model. Really, the feedback from our families are, we, we need for you to be back face-to-face. We want you to be safe, but, but we need you to be back face-to-face because we work. And, and we, we really can't deal with a schedule that is, is, is hybrid. We don't have anywhere for our children to go. So our superintendent's objective all summer and continues to be to get our children back in the classroom um, but to do it in the safest way possible. Yeah, and for anybody listening who is not familiar uh, in South Carolina, uh, not, not all, but some of the counties are divided up uh, into multiple school districts. So like in Anderson, uh, it's, it's actually five uh, uh, school districts. So that's why you hear Anderson 1 or, you know, and same thing in Florence, right? Uh, yeah, okay. So, um, okay, others just talking about kind of your model? So in Florence, one, we are offering a full virtual academy to our families in addition to a hybrid model with rotating or continuing rather AB days. So we were slated to start August 3rd. We were going to implement a year-round model. Then came COVID. And so um, our superintendent, who is normally very ambitious, decided to take a back seat and see what other districts are going to do. So we have actually pulled a lot from the upstate who's gone back before us. So we will have our first day on Tuesday, next Tuesday after Labor Day. 
And um, so I will have, I have, for instance, and I transition from the district office into a school to prepare to open amidst the pandemic. So that's been a new curve as well. Um, I have 475 of my seventh and eighth graders who will be virtual students. I have 330 who will be with me face to face. So we divide that by two. We'll have half on A day and half on B day. We have the option to rotate in on October 8th, which is our midpoint. So any family who has a child in the virtual academy at that time can decide to come back to school face to face. Now, believe it or not, we are still offering families that opportunity up until Friday to come in. It is a beautiful scheduling problem um, to have right now as things are continuing to fluctuate. But again, we, we have truly emerged stronger and, and a lot of things we're just doing together. Um, as a new principal coming in, I no longer hear that's not my job. And we're speaking the language that what, what is it going to take for our students to be okay? And so that's the model we have going forward in Florence one with a hybrid in addition to a full virtual academy staffed by our own teachers. So some of our teachers are fully virtual and some are in the building with three periods virtual and two periods face-to-face. So it's an interesting time for us all. <laughs> And Dr. Schottenberger, if I could just add, I, I, I failed to, at Anderson 1, we have a virtual option, too, so that our parents had a choice. Um, we have elementary teachers that just teach virtual students. Um, we have middle and high school. Our kids actually have their schedule, um, and just as they would, would normally, and they uh, WebEx or Zoom into that teacher's classroom on a daily basis um, so they can receive their instruction. So, of 10,000 um, students in Anderson 1, we have about 1,700 um, whose parents have opted to be virtual. And, and um, much like Florence, um, if a parent decides they made the wrong choice for their child, um, then we look at those on an ind- individual basis and we may make a move. But at the end of the nine weeks, if, if a child feels like they need something different, um, then we certainly are, are willing to take care of those children individually. Yes, and, and as I understand, uh, you know, with regard to like all of the districts across South Carolina anyway, uh, anywhere from about 10% to 30% even uh, have opted for virtual. Um, I think in uh, Greenville is our largest uh, district and there's about 80,000 kids. And last I knew it was about 25,000 opted for virtual. So, I mean, it's it's a big deal. Danielle, what about you? What are you do, doing right now? <laughs> yeah, so we were supposed to start school on August 3rd, was our, supposed to be our first day of school. And um, as we got closer to that date, um, we have a really strong union here in Hawaii, and our union kind of um, kept kind of going against the state saying, we really don't feel like the teachers have been prepared. Um, so our first day of contract day was July 29th. Um, so then four days later, um, you know, the students would have been on campus with us. So you're talking about four days of training, of your normal four days of getting ready. And we said, we've had no information about COVID practices, what it means to have students now. Um, we've had no information about how do we do this new teaching style. We've had no information about distant learning or anything that's going to happen. And we knew that there was going to be this possibility of, sorry, I've got 
fly that's going to join the conversation here. Um, we knew that they're going to have this virtual learning setup was going to be an option, but we didn't know if we were going to be running that class, somebody else going to be running that class. Um, are they going to be joining the class? Are they going to be, you know, asynchronous, synchronous? There was just a lot of not communication happening. And so our union was able to push back and we were able to say, let's not start school until August 17th. Um, so that was a nice thing for us. We were able to do a little bit of extra training as teachers. So um, August 17th came. Um, and the way that school started for us is we did an A-B schedule for our students. Um, and so the original plan was that the students would do A-B, um, and they would be a set A-B. So Monday, Thursday would be our A students, Tuesday, Friday would be our B students, and we rotate our Wednesdays. Wednesdays we leave a little early because Wednesday afternoons we do professional development as a staff. And so we didn't want one student group to be shorted every Wednesday. Um, so we would rotate the Wednesdays. Um, as we got that week before, we our cases were kind of growing. So at the beginning of July, we had about uh, under a thousand cases for the whole state of Hawaii. Um, right now, we have almost 6,000 cases for Hawaii. So in the course of about two months, we've gone from 1,000 cases to 6,000 cases. So you can see that we were going through a lot of issues and outbreaks, um, especially during August. And so we had a lot of concern about, is this a really good time to be bringing a bunch of children into the classroom? And there's a lot of discussion happening. And so as that week approached, August 17th approach, that week before the conversation came about to say, we're going to bring the kids on campus for that one week, and we're actually going to train them about how to use their devices. We're going to make sure everybody has what they need, and then we're actually going to be going fully online after that. Everybody's going to be online. So we actually had our students the 17th through the 21st. Um, they were here in class. We got to meet them. We got to do some kind of community work with them. We got to make sure they had their devices, how to use your device. We got to make sure people got hotspots sent home. Do all that kind of like face-to-face -face stuff that is really hard to do online. And then the 24th, Monday the 24th, everybody went online. Um, so this is their second week of doing distant learning at this point, um, and they will be doing that. They were supposed to come back the 14th. It was supposed to just be a short time. We're just going to do this for a little bit, um, but our main island of Oahu um, has been having major outbreaks, and so they just announced last week that we're actually going to go through the rest of our first quarter online. So at this point, our students are not coming back to us face-to-face -face until October 12th, but there is a possibility that they could talk about that again and readjust that. So Hawaii is a tourist population, right? That's, I mean, people come here because they want a vacation. And there has not been a lot of tourists coming to Hawaii because we have currently a 14-day quarantine. If you want to come visit Hawaii, you have to do, you have to stay in your hotel for 14 days. You can't even go to the hotel pool. You have to have all your food sent to your room. You have to do all these things. You can't even really, I think you can go to your lanai, which is like your little balcony, 
of your hotel, but you really can't even leave your hotel room for 14 days. Once the 14 days is up, then you can go to the beach, you can go hang out, you can go to the pool. Um, and so it's a really expensive way to come visit Hawaii right now. Not a lot of people are like, yeah, I've got three weeks, four weeks to go hang out in Hawaii so that I can do my 14-day quarantine and then go enjoy it. Um, and so we don't have a lot of people coming to Hawaii right now. Um, they're talking about the possibility of like October 1st possibly um, opening up Hawaii. And opening up Hawaii means that they would get rid of that 14-day quarantine and they would have a testing requirement, which would be you would test before you left your home and then you would possibly test when you got here. And that would just be some way to make sure that you are not carrying COVID. Um, and that would possibly, hopefully, increase our tourism again, which is the main um, source of our economy. Um, if they do that, there's a big discussion around if we're doing that, should we also then be adding this other dynamic of having children? Because we have 180,000 children in our system. Should 180,000 children then be all coming back into the classroom at the same time when many of our families are multi-generational? Um, and the kapuna, which is what we call our older families, um, many of our families live together. Um, and so you talk about you have just very different dynamics are happening on Hawaii than you have on the mainland. In the mainland, you have grandparents live in their own house. Parents live in their house with their children and all these different things. And you can say, we're not going to go visit our grandparents for a while. Well, in Hawaii, you have grandparents and parents and grandchildren all living together in the same house. And mom works at the hotel, and she's working with these tourists, and the child's here at school, and grandma is the one at home now. And all these people are now coming together in this one home, and you have this very vulnerable population issue and, you know, our lieutenant governor was just saying the kapuna or that elderly population has a 14% risk of having issues with COVID-19. So we have just these weird dynamics in Hawaii that we're all having to kind of really think about and having to kind of think about that timing then of when we go back, how do we decide, and how does that all play out in our timing? So... Right now, that's what we're looking at. We're fully online because of that and what that means. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments— those we choose to recognize, and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind, and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.